Hey listeners, a few weeks ago you heard a show that Adam and I did with Andrew Rains from Apex Pro, and in talking to him, we found out that he had a lot of coaching knowledge and a lot of tips that we could share with you guys. So together with Andrew and Apex Pro, we are going to start bringing you guys some driving tips every week. Now, this first tip we have for you has to do with vision and things you can do in your everyday life to improve your vision, which will also help you when you're out on track. Hey, Slip Angle listeners, this is Andrew Rains. I'm here to provide this week's track tip. So what I want to do is just offer a little bit of insight, maybe something that I've learned that can hopefully help you challenge yourself about how you think about your own driving and uh, hopefully it gives you a different perspective on uh, your Uh, progression and how you're improving the things that you're doing to challenge yourself as a driver. So first off, I want to touch on vision really quickly, and that's where do I look when I'm entering a corner? What do I do with my focused vision uh, as I'm driving around the racetrack? And something that I've noticed with me, and I'm sure you've experienced something similar, is the more laps you do, the more comfortable you get, the further ahead your vision starts to go, the more stuff that you start to see, the more aware that you become. So I think it's all about channeling our focus and our energy early on when we're on track early on in the session to get uh, into that kind of zone where we've got our vision further and further ahead. And I think a lot of that comes from our peripheral awareness, and that's just general peripheral awareness. This is something we can practice sitting at our desk um, while we're you know going through day-to-day activities, driving to work, other things like that. Um, so something that we maybe heard a lot about through something like Ross Bentley Speed Secrets or other uh, driving related content is sitting in a room, looking at the wall and trying to pick out the exact details of the objects in the room around you. Try to get a full 180 degree view uh, with your peripherals without moving your eyes or your focus vision at all. Because what we really have to do is increase that peripheral capability, our capability for our non-focus vision to determine what's going on around us in order for our field of vision to open up when we're at speed on the track. So just implement a couple of those things in your day-to-day routine, and I think you'll start to see uh, yourself getting into that zone and having that focus vision and that peripheral awareness increase when you're on the track. All right, listeners, hope you enjoyed it. Enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks for that tip, Andrew. For more information on Apex Pro, you can check out apextrackcoach.com. Now, while we're on the topic of vision, our two guests today had their own visions of starting their own companies. We have James Wilson from Black Armor Helmet, as well as Danny Pushkar from G-Lock Brakes. So we hope you guys enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to Slip Angle Show. I'm Austin Cabot. I'm Adam Jabe. What's up, buddy? What's going on, man? We're at the end of day one of PRI. This so is many literally PRIs. like three weeks of content now. Um, My voice but, is hurting. Uh, currently, we are with um, Danny Pushkar from uh, G-Lock Brakes. And uh, also joining us is uh, James Wilson from Black Armor Helmets. What's up, guys? Nothing. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. How's the so, PRI show for you guys so far? <laughs> it's loud over there. How's the PRI show been for you guys so far? Uh, the PRI show is always great for me. I mean, every time I come here, the amount of contacts I get is unbelievable. But for me, it's always the international customers. Oh, really? That's right. This is where almost where I always meet all of my international dealers. Really? Okay. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, they all come over for this. So interesting. It's a great show for me that as far as that goes. Nice. Yeah. Now both of you, neither of you have a booth this year, but uh, you're still walking around making a bunch of contacts, and uh, I'm sure checking up with current dealers and stuff like that too. So, um, you know, uh, for you, James, how's uh, how's the show been? I know you're just in for it today, uh, so I appreciate you making time in your schedule for us. Yeah, just one day only. We, yeah, we use this primarily just for meetings okay. and uh, getting in touch with folks that uh, we don't get to see other times of the year. We don't do the, bo- the booth gig. We do that years ago, and it's just uh, it doesn't fit our business model. We prefer not to be nailed down to a booth, and yeah. we can go visit and uh, seek people out if we need to. Yeah. Now we've uh, we've talked to both of you for for quite a while, wanting to have you guys on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice to finally have both of you here. Uh, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and this like double place. double whammy. And, and what I really like too is that both of your businesses are, are relatively new in the industry of motorsports. Um, you know, so to kind of have you guys, you kind of parallel each other almost in the 
um, you know, in the motorsports industry. You know, James with like a little bit of a, a newer kind of different helmet company, and you know, Danny with a newer like different brake company. So <laughs> yeah, he's like Danny's. <laughs> James is like caressing Danny's arm. <laughs> For those of you that obviously can't see it, because this is audio do video right? podcast. Yeah. So it's very loving touch. It was oh, yeah. very loving. Yeah. yeah. We so, go way back. Yeah, no, James and I actually do go way back. We're good friends and we've um we've talked a lot about our businesses and business practices and philosophies and mm-hmm. strategies and you know how to move forward and dealing with technology because obviously we both have you know in our industries there's technology is a big deal, a big part of it, right? There's always constant changes and new products and new new stuff coming out every year. So um yeah, and we have very similar philosophies on basically just about everything about running a business and starting a business and growing it the way the way we think it should be grown in you know today's world. Awesome. Now, you know, Danny, for for you, I mean, G-Lock is a relatively new brake company, but you know, it seems like you guys went from zero to sixty very very quick, and you guys are, are everywhere. So, I mean, that's really good to see. And you know, I know a lot of people that actually run G-Lock pads, and they absolutely I love them. Oh, you run them, James? Of course. Okay, okay. Yeah, I do. Oh, Adam runs yeah, them too. Yep. Everybody but you, Austin. Yeah, well, us. I mean, do you make anything for an ambulance or a motorcycle? Yes, Actually, we, make, yes. we make them for everything. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah if it's vehicles, a brake pad, I'll make you a yeah, brake pad. If it's a disc brake system, we can make it for it. What about drum brakes? We don't mess around drums. Because the ambulance is drums in the rear. Right? Yeah, well, we can help you on the front end. Okay. I, I am putting drums <laughs> in the back of my new race car. Uh, Are you really? Yes, I am. I found yeah. ultra rare aluminum CRX HF why, drums. Why would you willingly do that? Because they're the lightest brakes you can put on a CRX. It's all about the weight. It's a CRX. You don't need the rears anyway. You don't need much brake back there. Anymore. Our buddy Mike Taylor knows that you don't need uh, brakes yeah, on the yeah, rear. Now your rear, now your one rear tire is going to go off the ground even easier. That's right, man. You get less weight back there. Less rolling resistance. Less rolling resistance. That's the goal. So you guys want to tell us a little bit about uh, about each of your companies? How long you guys been around? Uh, you know your focus. Sure. Well, Danny's been talking for a bit. I guess I'll jump in. Uh, <laughs> screw that guy. Yeah. Black Armor Helmets was founded uh, tail end of 2011. Okay. Um, actually, originally started uh, as a uh, kind of an event management company really uh, and then with a with kind of a longer 10-year plan of, of bringing out different products so my background uh, some of it includes uh, product development for different companies including uh, chase cam and GoPro back in the day oh, interesting. Um, so bringing the sound of the safety side um, actually my son had an accident in the home when he was three and I okay. uh, had a pretty serious concussion and it was that point where I was kind of feeling out what different uh, products or things we could bring to market that would serve you know our customer base at the time during the, for the event management uh, in off-road racing, and it came out to be just perfect timing. So, you know, this is something I'm passionate about, uh, trying to keep my friends safe, and that really helps dictate and drive, you know, what we do within our business. Um, so uh, creating the brand Black Armor Helmets, uh, being able to um, look at the, the safety uh, market, uh, motorsports market, and realize that um, there were some things missing. Uh, everyone was kind of doing business the same way, large distribution models, um, the contract manufacturing without actually being involved in the design process. Um, and so that's really where we changed. Where we're getting in and saying, why is this? Uh, you know, why is the helmet built this way? Why can't it be lighter? Why can't it be stronger? Uh, you know, why does everyone distribute in this model rather than going direct? Mm-hmm. Um, as we found more and more that we were building helmets for our friends' heads, it was going on Danny's head, it was going on Austin's head, it not going on a shelf somewhere to be sold at a later date. So that that really helped uh, create our own internal philosophies on how we how we did business. Um, and then meeting Danny uh, not too long after that, in um, how he was doing business with uh, with a former company, um, really. Struck a chord with me, and uh, uh, we kind of have the unbrake company and the unhelmet company by doing things our own way. And it, it seems to be um, both on the product side and on the way we do business, uh, seems to be attractive to our customers. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, Black Armor, where did the idea for Black Armor come from? I mean, obviously, you know, your your son had an accident that, you know, resulted in a concussion. So safety and protecting, you know, your head kind of was top of mind. Yeah, and I, I've been racing since the late 90s, uh, you know, autocrossing then and then getting into road racing briefly in the early 2000s. And, and at that time, you know, uh, even, well, even currently in current autocrossing, you don't think of this stuff. You find whatever yeah. scuzzy helmet you can get your hands on, yeah. throw it on. If it's if it's legal, it's good to go. That's really all the things we worry about. Um, and even in, in lower levels of club racing, people don't think about their gear a lot. Um, and, I'm guilty and it, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, a lot. Of, I mean, I was too. That was that was it. Yep. And uh, if it's legal, it'll run. Yeah. If it's legal, run. If it, if it's not split down the middle, if you can hide something from the tech guy, you know, you're putting <laughs> sharpie on tires. You know, so you're not yeah. showing cord. You're good. Same with, with a helmet. And so, um, when it came to uh, you know having something, that, that were, this is going on your head. I mean, it's really serving a purpose. Um, and 
upper levels of racing, you can get hurt uh, falling off your motorcycle and paddock, or you can crash into a wall at 70 miles an hour or faster. Um, so uh, whatever we can do in racing to do something that we do for fun, if we can reduce that risk, mm -hmm. then that's even, even better. So uh, I had the opportunity to look at a few helmet designs um, that I had the opportunity to purchase a license for um, and said, this is a great starting point. How can I improve on this? Okay. And through looking at uh, different layup techniques with carbon fiber, uh, Kevlar was getting cheaper at the time, uh, easier to, to produce different components, um, spending a lot of time in test laboratories, uh, sometimes just throwing stuff off of high places. Uh, you know, it's all, <laughs> that's, that's it's, the fun it's part, all of part of it. Yeah, there's a lot of that, uh, that hands-on uh, approach um, and slowly built, built the brand. I mean, literally, we we're making two, three, five helmets at a time for a while uh, early in the day. And, and uh, you know, we're not, not a huge, massive company. Some of our competitors uh, produce 10, 15,000 helmets a year. Uh, again, it's the distribution model. Uh, every helmet that we make is going to go on somebody's head, probably one of our friends. So we, you know, there's a lot more care that needs to go into it. And also, I can sleep well at night knowing that this is going to fit them and be uh, you know, the most the best piece of safety gear that it can be um, without without me blinking an eye or, or, or worrying about it. Right. Uh, and that, that does make us different because we're, we're a small company. Um, you know, we we don't have to answer to other investors or or uh, you know this this big corporate chain where we can hide things. Um, you know, we're we're responsible to each and every driver that we that we put a helmet on. Right. You know what I what I found interesting is you know when you first popped up on my radar. The product offering that you had was good, but it was a slimmer product offering than On what purpose. you have now. So yeah, yeah, I mean, what was what was the idea there? Uh, you know, again, look at the product as a consumer over the years. Um, you know, I've owned helmets from. Uh, uh, Sparco, Pyrotech, Bell, um, I think I had a G-Force at one time, um, but uh, of all those brands, I had a hard time uh, buying a product. I didn't know what, what was going to fit me, what was correct. All the helmets yeah. were all different. Um, there was yeah. almost too many partners, too many SKUs. I thought, wow, that's really confusing for me as a guy that likes to overthink things. If someone wants to be simple and just say, what's going to work for my application or most of my application, then why don't we simplify it? Uh, that's on the consumer side. On the tooling side, uh, it, you know how expensive it is to make new tools? A new, oh, I, can, a new I can imagine. We, I've had been asked today several times, "What's your new? What's the new helmet design?" Like, man, we spend so much money on tooling, trying to get it right, and then be modular and expandable, and more expandable. Then, uh, so we we start with a simplified offering. So we actually have one helmet mold. We can make the uh, for the full face helmets. We can make either the circuit or the arrow. The only difference between the two is the little lip on the front of the arrow. Yeah. And it's actually an ex just an expansion off the existing mold that's on there. Okay. All the parts come. They're like Legos. They're they can be expanded, different thicknesses, different. Uh, um, uh, different ways to custom fit a helmet, okay. all without having to had having to have all these different uh, forms of, of tooling, uh, extra expensive molds, and that allows us to keep the cost low, but also have a simplified offering for our customers. Okay, so it's it's multifaceted, but uh, um, Danny can talk about some of that on his manufacturing side. Yeah. Because uh, we've actually had the opportunity to make breaks together. Yeah, we have. In fact, I wanted to go back and say with him, um, back in, was you said it was February when you came and stayed with me? Yeah, February. For, for, for this, two or three days? Past year. Yeah, he came to Charlotte. Obviously, he's from Austin, Texas. He came from Charlotte, stayed with me for two or three days. And um, he wanted to go meet with some composite companies and other various other companies that, you know, that he could potentially work with or get, you know, products, you know, from. And uh, I remember, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I asked him, I said to him, I said, why do you, uh, you want to meet, with, you're already making carbon fiber helmets, why do you want to meet with an Another composite company. He's like because I might be able to do it even better with them. So that that always stuck out to stood out to me when he said that. So it was pretty impressive because he's got a good product and yet he's still trying to always improve and make it even yeah. better. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Well, thank you. Yeah. So what do you do differently than some of the uh, other uh, brake pad manufacturers, Danny? What uh, what are you guys doing nowadays? We use different. Um, the, what makes up our compounds, the materials we use, are, is very different than most companies out there. Um, for I'm not going to say them by name, but like the H brand company, right? Mm -hmm. um, they use a lot of who's that? <laughs> they use a, a lot of uh, <laughs> nice James. They use a lot of carbon and iron in their um, compounds, especially okay. a lot of iron, which is it's good for bite if you want just like a lot of bite. But uh, they tear up the rotors and there's no modulation in them whatsoever. It's like a, a true like on-off switch, right? Mm -hmm. It's either full on or full off. Um, well, we have a different philosophy and we use completely different compounds that offer a lot more modulation, trail braking ability um, with a much smoother release. And they're also much easier on your rotors at the same time. But when it comes to um, sheer just like stopping force or your decel rates, our compounds um, have as good or in most cases actually a lot better um, decel rates than 
H brand and some of the other ones out there. Mm-hmm. So you just got to press on the pedal a little bit harder to get that, you know, to get more bite and torque, yeah. you know, more friction basically out of the brake pads. Right. And from a driver's standpoint, uh, you know, of course, obviously, Danny and I knowing each other, I switched to G-Lock brakes as soon as uh, his offerings were available uh, on my applications. And uh, lap times came down, uh, tire wear was, was better. Uh, I don't want to sound like it, you know, save my racing, but really how something so small can make such a huge difference in, in the race car. Um, people don't realize that. They can see that, oh, I'm a fan of you know, this brand or that brand. Um, Danny's got to figure it figured out. And really, yeah, when there's people something switch, a little bit different there, about some of the uh, the offerings he has. I yeah. really, really, really had a good experience. And, and it's really, it's funny because we know we have the pads, and so we look at each other knowingly. Yeah. And it's not as weird as it sounds on the, on the audio, it but could uh, be. Yeah. It will. <laughs> I'll try anything once, but uh, <laughs> but no, it really uh, it makes a big difference. So when when you see people, and that's really driven, I think his brand is has been people. You know, make the leap and, and try the product, and then they don't go back, and they can't tell their they can't stop telling their friends about it. So uh, that's been great about uh, about G Lock. Well, when he came to Charlotte and stayed with us for those three days, you know, I wasn't just going to let him stay for free in our house and and, eat yeah, and our, drink our all my key. liquor and everything <laughs> like that, right? Yeah. So <laughs> you, I, mean, I was under that so impression. He, he thought he was, and then he came over to G Lock because he used our building as like his base of operations as he'd go out and have meetings. Well, when he come back, I made him we made him go back and back and actually make brake pads and right. then make them. We put them to work. I mean, That's you put right. some hours in, too. Yeah, I'm I not joking. To, I even got to, uh, you know, assemble my own pads uh, in the back there. Yeah, he actually made his own brake pads for his car. Really? Like, yeah. He had just placed an order, like, the week prior. So, so when he was there, he made his own pads. What is the basic brake manufacturing process like? You, you know, guys you don't want to, like, specifics. Right? Yeah, but, it's all you know, what, yeah. what actually constitutes a brake pad, and how do you get it mounted? How do you, you know, make yep. the brake pad a solid material? Unicorn dust and uh, <laughs> well, a lot you, you of your, parts and dust. Brake dust, you know, mixed up in different, um, like, drums, if you will, right? Um, not all, like, 55-gallon drums or anything like that. Just whatever, like, small kegger kind of size, right? Um, and uh, you mix them up like that, but then there's two ways to make brake pads. You can either make them by hand or you can mold them. Um, the purpose of a mold is you we get molds are expensive to get made right so when we get molds made up we get them for our more popular compounds okay um, other... you know like the whole 80 20 rule so yeah. like 20 percent of our um uh pad shapes will you know make up 80 percent of our volume that we sell every year right okay um so for those 20 percent we get the molds made up and that's why it's a molded you know nice looks it looks all pretty even though it's a brake pad it really doesn't matter how it looks but there are customers out there who care how it looks. The molded ones look good. And then there's the handmade ones. Um, handmade give us the options to um, make the friction surface even bigger. We can make custom thick pads for guys who play around with different rotors on cars. Okay. Yeah. And we can make them as thick as you want them to be, you know, up to basically like 1.2 inches thick per pad. Oh, okay. That's what Danny did for us. We had a specific uh, concern on our Mazda 2 chassis on the Pirelli World Challenge uh, TCB cars, and we actually made it, I think we ended up going slightly thicker on the uh, friction surface, and we had discussed some different backing plate options. Yep. That would have never come up with a with a, a large, no. you know, yeah. uh, manufacturer where you never, you never know the face yeah. behind the phone or whoever. Yeah, because what we do is sometimes some cars, especially with Hondas, a lot of Hondas, you know, they're notorious for bending backing plates, right? Because they're, they're too thin. It's just, you know, it was fine for Honda for street use, but now when you go to the track. Right. So we can, we have a laser cutter right down the street from us, so we'll laser cut some shapes, um, and we'll specify the exact steel. Like, my brother knows the, my brother Chris knows, the engineer knows the metallurgy he wants to use, and specifies that with them, and we get, you know, sometimes not even thicker, just stronger steel made, sometimes both, right? Um, and then that gives us the option, too, to make brake pads literally for anything. So it's yeah. not like standard brake pad backing plates like some other manufacturers use. You guys are specifically essentially tuning that brake backing plate for each platform. Yeah, um, that is correct. I mean, not for all of them, but there's right. a, probably I'd, probably about a third of any, 25% to 33% roughly, right? So almost a third of all of this stuff we sell is laser cut backing plates. Okay. You know, it has a laser cut backing plate on it. Um, and in, to answer your other question, we truly can't make them for anything with a disc brake system. I made them for my own Trek mountain bike. Really? Um, yeah, because I hated the Trek pads because I thought I was going to kill myself every time I was going down a hill. Um, being a racer, you know, you always go down too fast, too fast, right? So I, I took some of our the R8 compound, which is a race compound, and I put it on there. And the first time I went out, and I, I and I'm no joke, I grabbed the brakes. I almost flew over the handlebars, <laughs> right? And I couldn't believe it. So every time I do it, I have to lean like way back. Yeah. And I told my brother about it. I'm like, like, dude, if you hit the brakes really hard, you're gonna fly over the handlebars. And he's like, you're full, of sh-, you know. And I'm like, well, take it off, <laughs> go try it yourself. So he went out and tried, and, and he, I swear to God, when he hit his brakes, I mean, he almost crushed his his nuts right on the handlebars. <laughs> and he did it. It was hilarious. 
hilarious. Good research and development right there. Yeah, yeah. mountain bike brake yeah. pads. Yeah, no, it was great. So we literally can put them on any anything. So okay, yeah. So like for somebody that's looking for brakes for a platform that might not have a lot of industry backing as far as you know performance brakes goes and right. say that they want to have you make some for them do you just need the backing plate yeah correct just okay. send us the backing plates okay. and um and if it's something you think you're going to be buying on a more regular basis we'll take them and we'll get a drawing done up and we'll send it to our laser cutter and then we'll just laser cut that plate oh wow okay. yeah you know or if it's just like a one-off or just a couple times or whatever just send us your place we'll clean them off make sure they're straight um, we're, then we'll um, sandblast them and we reline oh, them with reuse our, them okay. yeah reline them with our fixed materials so that's the okay. other way the handmade way uh, like i was saying earlier um and with, when you make them by hand, we use an adhesive and, and rivets. Um, and all of our rivets are made of brass, so the brass will never score the rotors. Score the rotors, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, is there a special no table where you assemble these? Yes, there is, James. <laughs> <laughs> there's an inside joke there. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> It's called a bonding table. Ah, he, he changed the name when he was there. It's, it's the bondage table. The bondage table. Yeah. <laughs> <That's cool. laughs> hey, it doesn't make you a bad person. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, no, the brass rivets will never hurt any rotors. So obviously, brass being the world's you know softest metal, right? And there's no possible yeah. way it would hurt a rotor. Um, where some of our competitors use steel rivets, and those rivets do actually gouge and yeah. tear right. up. Tear up uh, yeah, I've, I've seen that happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. When you're well, cheap like me, you run it down to the pad, down to the backing plates, and you also reuse brake fluid. Hey, that was an accident. Give me ago. a break. That was not on purpose. <laughs> he reused brake That was an accident. By accident. He grabbed well, the wrong bottle. Well, how do you still have it sitting around? Well, you, ha you know, you get two bottles, and one of them becomes the bleed-into bottle and for five years, and then you grab it, and you fill the master cylinder with an accident, <laughs> and you almost stuff it into China Beach real hard. <laughs> You're like you almost see this guy right here. Yeah, this yeah. guy. And I uh, went off uh, went off real hard in uh, in the keyhole, too. Oops. Real deep. Real deep. You've learned your lessons since switching to a G-Lock. Did you total the car? Yeah. I know it's fine. No, yeah. no right off or no? Totally fine. You're no. so lucky. You stay into it and you just should have get done off the heels like of madness, and you're back on the racetrack. It yeah. worked. Well, let's be honest. It was a it was a D series CRX. It was an ICA car. Couldn't go that fast. That's a good point. It was not that fast. Like 70 miles an hour max. Hey, give me a break. Come on, come on. I see the Just a little faster than a TCB. Yeah, ITA is not that far off a B spec. Yeah, there's nothing slower than. Respect. <laughs> Sorry, James. I'm Air crying a little inside, but I Air-cooled VW track cars, maybe, but maybe. Uh, not too far uh, off. Yeah. So uh, what are you guys' backgrounds in uh, in racing? Like, what led you up to these these companies? Um, well, as a kid, I mean, in the 80s and stuff, I was I grew up at the racetrack. Okay. Um, going to the SEC runoffs at Road Atlanta mm -hmm. and going to Mid-Ohio and seeing uh, people like Paul Newman and stuff like that race. Um and so that was great as a kid. And then once I got into junior high, then my brother and I um, got into motocross, and we raced motocross okay. for five or six years. Yep. Got out of that because um, I went and played football through high school and college. And then when I got out of college, we wanted to get back into racing. And um, my mom, who never really says much about our racing, said to us, she said, if you guys want to go back racing, that's fine. She said, but no more motocross because we had a quite a few injuries yeah my brother had a bunch of surgeries buying casts huh? yeah my yeah. brother had a, one one injury i mean surgery after surgery i think it was like oh four or five gosh. surgeries to get himself back to normal yeah. um, she wants so a roll cage around her my boys, mom's huh? like yeah she's like she goes and we were young we were in our early 20s she's like i don't care what you race but it has to have a seat and a roll cage yeah she's like that's all i ask and we're like all right no problem so yeah. we went we you know we grew up with car racing so then we went back and, and not back then we got into car racing and then um we were sitting around, and this goes all the way back to like 2003. My brother and I were trying to figure out a business. We wanted to. I was working for um, Roger Penske at the time. Oh, really? He for his uh, United Auto Group. Okay. And then my my brother was working for an electrical company up in Cleveland, Ohio. And we were trying to figure out a business we could either create um, or uh, or purchase. Uh, that was involved specifically in racing, if not racing, at least the automotive industry, because that's what we were passionate about. Yeah. Um, and then we were racing cars at the time, and the guy who um, founded this other company, um, we call it the C Company, right? Um, <laughs> the C Company, and um, we went and found some investors, bought that company, and spent 10 years growing that um, significantly, I mean, more than almost tripling the size of it. Um, in, in 10 years, and that was going through an economy. We started in 2006. So Not we went, a great time to start a... No, uh, it wasn't, yeah. but we still were able, every year we still had growth. Yeah, um, yeah. And unfortunately, we had some very big disagreements um, with the owners yeah. of um, of that company. And just for the record, the owners of that company are is no one with the last name Pushkar, so yeah. no family members there. Yeah. There's a lot of false rumors about that out there. But anyway, um, I won't go into great detail about it, but you know, long story short is they didn't come through on their end of the deal, so... 
we uh, started your own place. Tried, huh? We tried to buy them out, and they refused. So we okay. said we're going to start our own company. Then, and they said, "Okay, see you later." So, yeah. Five months later, we launched G Lock Breaks, which is honestly the best decision I ever made. How's it going? So, Everything going pretty well? Oh, it's been going great. I mean, yeah. nothing we'll see but you every on a month. lot of tracks. Yeah, so. and we had a lot of growth. Every month we've grown. Um, Good. Yeah. And, and you're still making me. everything in-house? Yeah, everything's in-house. Cool. You know, it always will be. Okay. We're never going to send stuff over to China or India or Taiwan or Mexico. Yeah. I mean, it's all going to be made in the U.S. Just, yeah, I'm just picturing Danny back there with like an old butter churn. And he's just <laughs> making his break pads, <laughs> dropping them onto some old backing place. Yeah. He calls James in on the weekends yeah. to work the bondage table. table. Yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, somebody's got to run the bondage board, table. You know, that's that's, that's right. more fun. Yeah. <laughs> Zippered masks count yeah. as, as protective equipment. Mm-hmm. So, so where, how did you get into uh, into racing yourself, James? Uh, so in high school, um, my sister was dating a guy who uh, drove his car around parking lots uh, down in San Diego. Oh. Oh, yeah. one of those guys. Honda huh? CRX. One of those guys. And I no. thought that uh, that was just the coolest thing, and I thought, you know, I'm going to try that one day. Yeah. And when I was old enough to get my license and uh, go do that, uh, he took me along. And uh, that relationship didn't last between my sister and him, but uh, but the love of racing did. Yeah. And uh, that was my active participation. My mom was a big racing fan. It was the, the one, I remember that was the one Sunday uh, we didn't, quote, have to go to church growing up was uh, Indy, Indy 500 <laughs> on Sunday. So uh, and get she a, took us to some of the... There, huh? Yeah, yeah. We we used to watch the uh, the Camelite, uh, Camel GT cars uh, oh, running yeah. at the Del Mar, the the uh, track down there, and uh, so that was fun to do that in person. Um, autocross for a bit, uh, dabbled in road racing in college. And when I thought I could afford it, uh, that wasn't yeah. the case. That's uh, really was, stupid expensive. Yeah, even was, when you do uh, it poorly. It's really well, expensive. I've been doing it poorly a long time, so yeah, uh, that's good. Uh, you ran cross country, cross country and track in, in college as a collegiate athlete, and I actually got hurt. And uh, couldn't continue. And uh, I realized, well, I love racing. Why don't I get back into that? And uh, did a little more road racing, back to National Autocross, uh, won a few national championships over the years, and then jumped back into road racing about 2012 uh, with the B-Spec car. And uh, started doing that, racing Pirelli World Challenge. You mainly ran PwC with that, right? Mainly PwC, yeah. That was a a long-term project that, uh, you know, if I was going to go in with it, I was going to try to be, uh, you know, as versatile as possible. At the time, we could race with Grand Am. PWC, NASA, NCC Club, yeah. same car, just yeah. to change a tire. So I thought, hey, this is perfect. Yeah. So I uh, got about five, a little over five seasons in that. Had a okay. big wreck earlier this year yep. at, uh, at NOLA uh, at a SCCA Majors uh, race. Yeah, I remember and hearing about that. Yeah, I was unfortunate. Yeah. yeah, and I, you know, I take responsibility for that. I had, I had been traveling. Actually, I had just come back from uh, uh, from North Carolina and uh, didn't sleep too well and. Uh, um, just wasn't focused on what I was mm-hmm. doing and had an off and rolled the car. Um, but uh, no no major injuries. And that's good. Uh, really open eyes at some things. But, uh, yeah, that's, a, you know, nutshell, some of the racing. I won a rallycross national championship somewhere in there as well. Really? Um, yeah, 2012. You've done a lot of this, huh? Yeah. What classes did you run uh, autocross in? Where autocross, you were on there? oh, gosh. Uh, H-Stock in 07. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. In Pro Solo. And then uh, STX. Was a twenty. I was a twenty ten national champion in STX and okay. a Subaru, uh, and then won rallycross stock front wheel drive uh, in a Mazda uh, in twenty twelve. Very cool. That car later became the B spec car. So really, that was a lot of fun. And a funny story. I, I didn't have enough money to pay for the roll cage yeah. in the uh, in the race car, so I took the car to rallycross nationals <laughs> with the intent of winning, so that I could take the contingency winnings and pay oh. my cage guy <laughs> to finish it. Was that, so, was that around the same time that Andy Hollis had a Mazda two as well? I think I think he had just, he was running STF, I think, okay, in the yeah, car. Yeah, okay. And uh, being an, another local Austin guy, uh, we shared a few uh, tips and tricks yeah. back and forth. I think he actually had a hand in developing the B-Spec suspension kit okay. uh, for the car. I uh, like those little cars. They're right? fun. They're, yeah, they're fun. Cool. You know, my boss, Stephanie Anderson, has uh, has one on the street, and she still races. Her her uh, B-Spec car um, just came off of the Mazda Raceway at Laguna Seca weekend at Pirelli World Challenge, mm-hmm. where uh, we both got to race the final weekend uh, that they were running TCB ever. So uh, that was yeah. good to be a part of that. But, uh, yeah, she's got a pile of those cars along the respect me out and and uh just love the Mazdas. they're great great cars yeah yeah they really are now danny do you want to tell us a little bit about the brake pad compounds that that you guys offer currently and what they might be best suited for like each yeah. each one um like you go through each compound yeah all right so i mean we have um 87 compounds <laughs> yes, we'll hours. be here for yeah. two hours yeah. no that's the beauty there's only uh, yeah. seven i believe right? yeah we have um seven different compounds basically we were so, just talking about this yeah right? we were because some of our competitors have like multiple compounds for like just say the for street use, you know what i mean like the h company i think we came up with four compounds they sell for street use 
So yeah. it's, it's a lot of confusion. It's confusing. So yeah. For us, we have, I mean, I think one or two is fine. Right now we have one, which is the GS1 compound, which is great for street use. Um, it's going to last a long time. I mean, um, we just I just changed them out on um, my sister-in-law's car, and it was... She had them on there for almost six years. Wow. Yeah, it lasted a while. Um, and, um, in fact, in my wife's car as well, believe it or not. Um, but you'll get a lot more. Your rotors will be super easy on your rotors, great for street use, but do not take them to the track. If you want to do some autocrossing, you can. Hill climbs is even fine. Um, all that kind of stuff is fine with them. Just don't take them to the track. Not a lapping pad. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah. not at all. You see those, um, use those on, like, trucks also? Like yeah, we have, a lot of, we have a lot of drivers who run them on... Um, who run our race compounds on their race car, but they buy them for their tow vehicles oh, okay. because they're able to, you know, the amount of bike, they don't necessarily always have a lot more bike demand on what street compounds you're talking about, um, but they can take a lot of heat, so they're not going to fade out on you. If you're going towing a vehicle, mm-hmm. um, your race car, you know, down the hill or whatever, down through the mountains or going to West Virginia or wherever you're at, right, out west, um, you're not going to overheat it because it's got twice the heat capacity as yeah, your typical OE factory. pads. Huh. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I actually have a set on my F-250 that we tow all over the, the country with our okay. big 28-foot yeah. trailer. Yeah, it's a low-dusting compound, like I said, and non-corrosive dust. It's, it's great for that. Maybe that's what I should get for the ambulance, man. Maybe yeah, you're going to get it for it. So, and then the R6 is our autocross compound. It's, it's you know, it's what it sounds like. It's specifically, you know, designed for autocrossing applications. It's got phenomenal cold bite. If you don't mind noise when you're on the street, it's a great street compound. Okay. Um, it's the kind of compound on the street, if you slam on the brakes and your passenger doesn't have their seatbelt on, they're going to be kissing the windshield. So, I mean, no, <laughs> so if you want to break your yeah. wife's neck. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. That's one way to do it. No. It's a good way to sell helmets in conjunction with brake yeah. pads, though. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. Yes. <laughs> That's a good idea. You can provide the ambulance for yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I got you covered. So, right. But, so on the street, if you run it, it's going to make a lot of dust. You know, like basically the same amount of dust any German OE pad makes. Okay. Um, and it's going to make some noise. Then you got the R8, which is the first of our track compounds. Um, the R8 is very versatile. In fact, we um, we run it on the a rear of a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of cars. It goes yeah, on the rear of a ton of cars. cars. Yeah. Um, I mean, even like Vipers, because they're very sensitive front to rear of the bias. Um, but a lot of the Miatas, Hondas, you know, um, vehicles like that. But it, it's also great front and rear for like Formula Fords, Formula Continentals. Um, they love that compound. It works great on those kind of cars. And um, you can actually run that one too on the street if you want as well. For those, that's like our most versatile as far as guys who don't want to change pads out. They Hopefully want to drive daily. The lazy man's pad? Yeah, yeah the lazy that track sounds day like guy. me right there. Yeah, yeah, you just run over, drive it around on the street, not change anything, go right to the track. Well, the R8 is the best compound for that because yeah. good cold bike, not going to kill your rotors when cold or hot. Um, and it can still take track type temperatures. Then you go up to the R10, you get a little bit more bite and torque. Um, and um, with that one, it's the heat range increases as well. That one's going to be more specific. I would not really recommend driving that out on the street. I mean, you could if you wanted, but it's going to be really noisy and, and dusty. Um, but it's got a lot of bite. That's very popular for a bunch of Hondas um, and Mazdas, you know, basically yeah, like 2,500 yeah. pounds or less, you know, 200 horsepower or less, right? It would be great for those those kind of cars. Um, and then next one up was the R12, which is with... Which is what Adam runs on yeah. hit your car, right? Yep. Yeah. And 16s, too. Yeah, those, that's so. right. You would, you would start with the 12s and you love them, but then you want yeah. a little bit more bite. Now so I'm going with a smaller motor. So probably going to run 12s again. So. Oh, you might want to stay with the 16s first. To see what you think. I'll talk to you about it next year. Yeah, okay. Next year. Next year. <laughs> so our 12s, right. same thing as you go up in our numbers. Um, the bite increases overall. The initial bite increases overall bite and torque of all as you keep going up. Yeah. And the heat capacity, right? Okay. So the 12s is just a little bit more you know, than what the 10s were. Um, the 14, that's that's really just for endurance applications um, that are really lightweight, like close to 2,000 pounds. So that won't go on most cars. Um, and then you go right up to the R16, which is the the one that Adam's been running. And we have a lot of guys running. Some of our front runners and spec me how to run that. But it also works on, like, T1 cars, T2 cars, um, uh, like ST4 cars, if you're yeah. talking about NASA, right? Yeah. Those ST2 and those kind of cars. Um, and then the top of the line for us is the R18. That one's got the most bite and torque of, of any compound that we offer. Um, in fact, it, the, the coefficient of friction on that compound is actually greater than... Um, Anything that I know of that any of our competitors offer. Oh, really? Today, yeah. Okay. So, but that one requires a lot of heat. So you got to have a pretty serious car to to run that compound. Right. Like, you need a little weight and a lot of power, huh? Yeah. Or, um, like a Honda Honda S two thousand. Yeah. You know, great fast little car. Yep. Tiny brakes, horrible hard, brakes. Hard, hard on the brakes. So Uses hard on the front brakes. So much. Yeah. It actually, creates as much heat on the front end of um, the rotors get as hot as any uh, Corvette nine eleven or Viper I've ever I, taken I brake used, temps for that come in, has really? come in pit lane. I used to grab yeah. rotors every weekend. Yeah. On my wow. It's yeah. by far the worst. Now that 
That is a Honda that you can actually run the R18 on, and they'd work, and they work very well. Okay. Um, is that like front and rear, or what just did you front. Them? Okay. I, I've, I still have yet to ever put R18 on the rear of any car. Okay. I don't care if they have a brake bias adjuster or not. Right? You just can't. Yeah, you can't. It requires a lot of heat. Right. Once you get heat into them, then the compound's great, and it, it wakes up, and it's it's phenomenal. Right. Now, you just got to keep it hot. If someone's trying to balance out their braking front to rear, um, you know. When do you know when they might should try, you know, balancing it out with brake pad compounds or brake bias adjuster? Yeah, do you have any, any uh, advice for somebody who's just getting into the track, the track scene and you know, wants to avoid rear lockup or yeah. find that perfect brake balance? Uh, what kind yeah. of stuff? What are you looking I mean, for with that? For the last 12 years, I've strongly recommended everyone to run a different brake compound on the rear, as in different as in less, less like bite and torque, right? Less right. friction um, to give it a natural bias. Even if they have a manual brake bias adjuster in there, I still like doing that anyway to give it that natural bias. It makes it easier to dial it in. Um, the main reason being, under heavy loads, under heavy braking, the front tires, if you will, uh, per square inch have less pressure. I mean, the front tires have more pressure per square inch than the rear tires, right? So if they both have the same amount of uh, bite and friction on each end, well, the rears are going to be more likely to lock up on you, right, or engage the ABS yeah. if, it, if it's got less you know, pressure per square inch on the rear tires versus right. the fronts, right? So I like that natural bias. And someone new getting into it, um, you definitely want to go lower on the rear just to help keep the ass into the car you don't want to come around control. On you. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to come around yeah. on you because you know how many new guys do that kind of stuff, right? Under heavy braking. Yeah. I mean, it happens quite a bit. One, so yeah. One thing I used to notice on my S2000 when I first started getting into tracking heavily, I would have this issue where I would get on the brakes real hard and the car would kind of dance around in the rear, ABS-wise. You know, and, and what I started realizing was that it was from the front diving so much you know, the suspension compressing that the rear was getting really light and yeah. the ABS was going crazy because as soon as I changed right. out the, the coilovers that I had right. to something that was a little bit stiffer in the front, that yeah. completely went away. Right. So, I mean, yeah. does that, do you hear that a lot from people yeah, where like the car is going that way? How many times can you maximize the suspension setup without changing the brakes to get better performance? versus, you know, maybe messing around with the, the compounds. Yeah, like I could, in your situation there, I could have dialed you in just with brake compounds alone okay. to help to, to basically not completely eliminate it, but greatly reduce it, Right. Yeah. Know, like greatly reduce it. Um, but ultimately, in that situation, that comes down to you just need a better suspension, whether right. it's shock absorbers and or springs, yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, but that's what you would want to do in that situation. But yeah, you can dial it in with brake compounds yeah. okay. without doing anything else there. So. Any, uh, anything uh, for both of you guys? Anything big coming up on the horizon uh, for your companies? Or just uh, build good products and sell as many as you can? Yeah, that's. I mean, you always want to do that, right? That's yeah, always that the, goal. Be the goal. Every yeah. day. No, we got some. We have a couple things in the pipeline. So, hopefully, you know, 2018 will. Um, Titanium brake pads that shoot all the sparks. Yes. Yeah. And stay hot all the time and take forever to cool off. <laughs> so I would like to say a couple. Like, since you asked those questions, with you guys, don't ever put titanium shims on a brake pad. Why ever. is that? It's horrible. All it does is. It, if you're boiling, the reason you do that is if you're boiling brake fluid. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but by I've doing never that, tried it, but I've heard you're keeping that. a lot more heat into the brake pads themselves okay. and the rotors, right? So you're going to wear those out, and you're also more likely to crack a rotor because it's yeah. getting even hotter, right? Um, so if you're boiling brake fluid, what you should do instead of putting titanium shims on there is actually get proper brake fluid. Yeah. And if you go all the way up to the the most expensive stuff out Castrol, there, Castrol SRF, Castrol or something, SRF, or exactly yeah. right. Yeah. If you get up there and, and you're still boiling maybe, it, okay, yeah, then yeah. you by that point you should have put on stainless steel brake lines and cooling ducts. And if you're still boiling it, then you need to look at doing like a big brake kit because you know you're yeah. out of luck there. And titanium Unless you're in like one that. of the prod classes or whatever, you're stuck with your yeah. ancient stuff. Right. But. So if you're getting that hot where yeah. you're boiling brake fluid after you've done cooling ducts, you know, um, stainless steel lines and proper brake fluid, then if you put titanium shims on there, all you're going to do is if it's getting that hot, is you're just going to go right through pads and rotors like okay. super quick. But you won't boil your brake fluid, but you're going to be spending a fortune. Is the titanium really that good at blocking the heat from the caliper? Yeah, it's a great barrier. Really? Yeah, it is. I've it never tried is. it. I've heard people do yeah. it. I know. I'm sure these, some of these shim companies aren't going to like hearing me say that, but you don't yeah. need it. There's other ways around all that. You should fix the big problem versus band-aid the small problem. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. So, Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, titanium shims, don't ever do that. Cooling ducts, if you're going to track a lot, do you track these? Always put cooling ducts. It's a one time. It'll make you know, everything yeah. last longer. Yeah, it makes yeah, everything last longer. Keeps it cooler. I mean, everything from not just your pads and rotors, but yeah. even like the caliper, you know, piston and seals, wheel bearings, your wheel bearings, your hubs, yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. Everything lasts huge. longer. Yeah. It's just so smart to do. And it's just, you know, it might cost you two, three, four hundred bucks, but it's only one time and you're yeah. done, yeah. right? So it's, you know, do those things and run proper brake fluid. Don't, don't run anything you could buy at AutoZone. Yeah. 
or advanced or yeah. off says, the assembly line. Danny <laughs> says, don't be a dummy building a car, yeah. and then he'll sell you brake pads. <laughs> right. Or he'll sell you brake pads regardless. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I know that there's, there's a lot of talk out there, too, about the proper way to bed pads in. Yeah. I know, obviously, you know, you guys have a, a specific method that you recommend um, for yeah. people to do. But what if you don't bed the pads in correctly, what are some of the things that can happen? Um, you'll, you, we're going to end up glazing them over. And once they're glazed over, I mean, you've lost a, a significant amount of friction. Right. right? And they're not going to perform anywhere near like they should. And right. it, I mean, it's not going to be very fun on the track, to be honest with you. And so, now, the purpose of bedding pads in is to transfer material from the brake pads to the rotor surface, right? Because brake pads work the best when they're working with, you know, similar materials. Well, there's yes and no. Okay. Um, is part of it, but... The true bedding of a brake pad has really um, not much to do with the rotor of it. I mean, it's the final curing and outgassing of the friction material itself. Mm, okay. And then the other part of that is, like you're saying, with the rotors, where you want to get the friction material down, you know, that transfer layer down on the surface of the rotor, right? Um, and then also the two surfaces have to mate up so they have, like, the same uh, fingerprint, if you will, right? Um, and that's that's ultimately what a brake pad grips is it's gripping its own, its own material, material right? on the surface of the rotor, right? That's going to create the most friction when it's trying to, you know, rub against its own material. So that's what's, that's also why it's important to start with a fresh rotor. It doesn't matter if you're running G-Lock pads or someone else's pads. You should always start with a fresh surface. You should never mix a, one brand's brake pad compounds versus another because even if some people are like, oh, it worked fine. Well, it might have worked actually even better if you actually started with a brand new rotor. Right. You know, because it's going to be gripping its material versus other materials on there. So if somebody isn't, uh, you know, isn't happy with the performance of their brake pads, is that usually one of the first things that you ask them, yeah. I guess? It's always one of my first questions. Yeah. yeah. Did you run rotors that have other material on it? Okay. Yeah. And... Eight out of ten times, they say yes. Ah. Is there a way to bring some of that uh, that pad back if it glazes over? I've yes, in, you in can. In the past, I've ran it through a wire wheel a little bit. Or do you have any uh, any yeah, any, um, any good options for that? Well, since this is going to be on the show, I'm just going to tell people what I want them to do. <laughs> I'm not going to give them any other ideas what to do like, on their own. Please send them back to us, okay. and, and we, um, we'll put them on our magnetic table grinder. It's okay. got a diamond wheel. We put on it, we grind a real thin layer off the top, just that glazed layer. Start over then. And start over it fresh, and we send it back to you, and it's good to go. Interesting. And then back to the bedding thing, we can pre-bed the pads for you. Okay. We have a pre-bedding process, um, and so we can send them to you. So when you get them, you, get your, you just make sure you put them on new rotors. Right. Or the rotors, if it's already... A rotor that has G-Lock uh, compounds on there, it's fine. You don't have to get new rotors. You okay. just throw the pads on, and you literally can just go if you get yeah. them pre-bedded. I think so. you guys are one of the only manufacturers that actually offers that service. So it was one of those things that I know when I was, you yeah, know, I've never heard of pre-bedding before. Maybe I've never oh, heard of it. I said rotors, you were pre-bedded. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's how I, that's that's how I my mind yeah. as well. I, I, didn't always, tell you, I, I didn't tell you, Adam. I just did it for you. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's cool. I appreciate <laughs> Yeah. So, Yeah, but bedding is a very important part of brake pads. It really is. So you're better off just getting them pre-bedded yeah, and just being done with it. It's the same as like scrubbing tires in, you know, right. you can't just go ham-fisted on brand new sticker tires and expect them to last and get optimum performance. Right. You know, there's, you know, certain things that you need to do. So yeah. why would brakes be any different? Well, it's, it's also, you know, I mean, yeah, anything, you know, it's, it's like a braking period for like a brand new engine, right? You right. Just don't just go out and hammer on it. You got to do certain things in the beginning, mm -hmm. right? To make sure it performs the best, right? Right. The same thing with brake pads. Okay. I mean, you could do whatever you want, but that's where I come in for the helmet side. You can make all kinds of bad decisions. Just in case things do go wrong. Then we're here to protect you. Yeah, as you guys said about new products for for 2018 and beyond, this past year, Black Armor Helmets had done some product development work on a project for Snell with the new Elite Autosport standard. EA 2016 standard was late coming on board, and with the new construction technology that we had developed, I was able to actually pass the first helmet to pass that EA 2016 standard, which is, is supposed to be an elite uh, standard level they call it the F1 standard, but it's not really because it's not uh, uh, currently used by by many organizations. But it's supposed to be you know, that that high FIA super helmet uh, mm -hmm. standard. Um, so not only does Black Armor Helmets work on our own products, but we actually do product development, uh, engineering, project management for uh, other safety companies, oh. not just uh, helmets. Okay. Uh, con do uh, operate contracts uh, with with those groups, trying to improve a, a process, improve a product, uh, do other things uh, through our engineering side, the Motorsports Product Group. So sometimes. You'll see Black Armor Helmets and the Motorsports Product Group uh, spoken back uh, concurrently or, or in different circles, and uh, it's the same organization. So uh, we get to uh, to play with our own stuff, and then mm -hmm. uh, things that don't necessarily fit within our brand range, uh, we'll do work for others, um, okay. either you know more high end stuff or low end stuff uh, on the end. Um, there, so uh, exciting to work on those those things. Always a pleasure to to be able to be a part of someone else's 
uh, brain trust to make uh, yeah. racing safer and better uh, for everyone. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, um, for the product offering, I saw recently where you guys have a new helmet that I believe is specifically available through Winding Road Racing. Um, it's a very, very light composite helmet, is it not? That's correct, yeah. We did a, a couple of years ago, they asked us to do a, a composite blend helmet uh, that was painted. So normally we do a carbon helmet, uh, clear-coated, looks really sexy in the sunlight with a, with a couple of mils of, of uh, you know, clear urethane. Looks great. Uh, but they wanted something that was more like the standard offering that people were looking yeah, at. Some yeah. people get scared away with carbon fiber. They think, right. I can't afford that. Right. Um, when really that's kind of the essence of our brand is bringing it you know, carbon fiber to the common yeah. the common man because um, it's really not as expensive as people think it is. Um, uh, but there are benefits to uh, using fiberglass, Kevlar, other materials blended together actually uh, in, in different uh, different layups have different strengths and benefits. So, yeah, we did uh, do a, a, an exclusive product for a Winding Road, uh, offer that, I believe, right around the $400 range um, with some of the features that uh, that I designed into the higher-end helmet, okay. uh, you know, expandability with our Mod Pod systems uh, for communications, for drink tubes, uh, for air for, force induction, um, things like that, um, at a more affordable price range um, for uh, everyone to to enjoy. And Winding Road has been a good partner with yeah. distributing that product line uh, through their stores uh, all over the U.S. Right. And I know just recently you guys have started offering communications and hydration. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, add-ons. Last, last I guess. couple of years. Yeah. Right. Right. So yeah. you know, that's one thing that. Um, it's kind of unique for me to see in a, you know, I don't want to say more budget-oriented helmet, mm -hmm. but you know, a helmet that's Club slightly more affordable. Yeah. yeah. Than, well, we wanted to we wanted have. to not not only just be a one-stop shop, but take some of the con confusion out of out of you know buying and setting up your helmet. Um, you know, I've worn a lot of helmets, I've bought a lot of radio kits and parts, and I was you know, when I first started out, you know, I was confused. I didn't know what I needed. I didn't know the difference between an IMSA or a NASCAR connector. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know what was the benefit. Yeah. Of, what of, what is the difference? I don't know if I'm clear on the difference. Uh, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's so connector. strange. People think that you know if you're road and use this if you're circle track you like use one's, this one's metric and one is standard yeah. <laughs> so it's basically the connector type the, an IMSA connector is the most uh, prevalent in most forms of, of racing it's a uh, it's an aviation connector it has okay. four separate conductors uh, with with two separate grounds uh, for the for the earphones or earbuds and the mic uh, whereas uh, a NASCAR style it's a it's a quarter inch guitar jack basically uh, oh, really? it's got three okay. conductors with a shared ground okay it's really the only difference um, on a if you're starting from scratch and you're building a radio system for your for your road racing car. Um, some the, some radios don't like having a shared ground, hmm. so they won't perform as, as good. But really, there's no other functional difference. But when it's time to go jump in that uh, you know lemons car or uh, or chump car or something else, and you realize you're the one guy with the with the you know IMSA connector on your helmet kit, and everyone else is running NASCAR, well that's a problem because you got to rip all the guts out of the helmet, yeah. start with a new kit, or you got to have another dangly adapter that has to go on there. Uh, for a Mod Pod system, it's a it's a Mod Pod sensor for modular pod. Uh, it's a pod that allows you to run communications on the left or right-hand side. Uh, it has uh, Panasonic speakers built into our helmets. Um, and then the connector on the inside, it's a, basically a five-pin mini XLR, uh, which comes out to terminate into a, either a NASCAR or IMSA or off-road or Stilo or whatever system you're running, Peltor. Um, we can adapt to that without having to rip everything out of the helmet. Huh, okay. uh, also, when you're doing go-karting, autocrossing, whatever, you just unsnap the connector out of the helmet, and the stuff's not dangling all over the place. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's really a nice modular system. Uh, again, having something that's expandable for uh, for the drivers who are you know autocross and go karting whatever uh, that want to go road racing later, they can build all this stuff into the helmet, and then instead of having to buy all new parts, they just buy a cable. And if they're running somebody else's car and they don't have the extra cable, they just order one up for a couple bucks, and now they can run it without having to get adapters or or uh, or everything else. Um, that setup can be built into all of our standard carbon helmets or the winding road racing line, uh, all up to and including our our upper end level yeah. uh, helmets, um, they can be retrofitted in. If you bought a helmet, that's the other cool thing. If you bought a helmet in 2014 and uh, you want to have Mod Pods on it and it's the current uh, Snell standard, um, send it back to us. We'll of course, douse it with you know whatever is necessary to <laughs> keep the smell out. Um, but we can we can upfit your helmet after that, and it's a good safe configuration. Uh, we actually use all the same holes, the same locations that okay. would be used for any of our accessories. So it's never a question. You know, I sent it off to you know, you know Billy, Billy Bob Radio Guy it drilling it holes in yeah. the yeah. So that's all the same locations that Snell has already tested for uh, for flammability, flame penetration, uh, 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 impact. For uh, there's a couple of separate Snell tests where the it slides on a rig and it has to either the part has to either 
break off or it has to um, you know cleanly deflect off uh, so it's not going to be a hazard uh, for the driver exiting a, a vehicle mm -hmm. um, all of our parts already have that on there so it's not like a guess whether that's going to work yeah um, you know they're designed to break off in the event of an accident uh, where you have to get out I'd much rather uh, you know get out of a burning vehicle than be hung up by a you know by a, a cable, cable or, or a cord or yeah. something yeah. Um, and then if you need to we just rebuild it uh, you know as, as needed none of that's user serviceable but uh, but actually I'm the one when you order a, a helmet with a mod pot I'm actually the one physically doing the upfitting okay uh, on there do you have sure your own bondage table uh, you know we call it different things <laughs> it's uh, I, I have a special room this is uh, yeah it's chains all over the wall it's a great it's question still nuts <laughs> yeah. Yeah. awesome guys well we really really appreciate your time yeah um, Danny for G-Lock where can people find out more about G-Lock and maybe be able to contact you if they bondage have any questions bondagetable.com <laughs> <laughs> Don't go there. That's the risky <laughs> click of the internet of the night. You'll never find brake pants if you go there, that's no. for sure. But you may um, find out It's either. probably no. a, a website for all we know. Yeah, yeah. no, glockbrakes.com. So it's G-L-O-C. No K in there. Okay. You know, we're not like Glock pistols. We didn't want to get sued by them. So no. we, got, we got the hyphen. Those pistols. Yeah, we got, we got the hyphen and no K. So it's glockbrakes.com. Okay. So if you just Google G-Lock Breaks without even a hyphen, it'll pop up. So it'll be the first thing you see. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And James, where can people find out more about, uh, about Black Armor Helmets? Online, you can go to blackarmorhelmets.com. And uh, uh, you can always reach us by email, sales at blackarmorhelmets.com. Uh, go to our Facebook page. We have a lot of uh, fun, uh, interesting things. Customers like to send us uh, customer photos. Uh, we've, had, uh, we've had engagement photos where people were holding their helmets. Bunch of freaking really, really, it was actually weirdos. really cool to see. <laughs> Some weird stuff, uh, we had a couple customers uh, send us uh, two. They were, they were uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, 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 co-drivers in a, in a rallycross car, and they, they sent pictures kissy pictures crazy stuff anyway that's where facebook uh, comes in <laughs> yeah. uh, not just for cat videos but so you can find our helmets there you can as also well. find kissing racing helmet videos too that's so. that's right that's yeah. another questionable click uh, on the internet but uh, yeah check check that out and uh, really appreciate your time guys slip angle podcast we appreciate it yeah, yeah man yeah thanks hey, you guys Danny, are awesome james uh glad to have you guys on yeah, finally after after uh, i think a it's couple time tries. to get some dinner i'll come back, back yeah. if you want yeah. me to so yeah. we'll see yeah. talk about some new stuff yeah sounds good all right thank you i think it's time for dinner yeah man yeah, let's go some All drinks. right. Yeah. Appreciate it, guys. All right. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks. If you enjoyed the show, share it with a friend. You can find us at www.tracktune.com slash slipangle. You can leave us reviews and ratings in the iTunes store. We'll see you all on Friday.